the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. Today is part two with Alan Jager. Alan is the founding partner of Los Angeles-based Jager Sports, where some of the most talented baseball players in America go to improve their game. He is most famous for his trademark J-bands used for conditioning the arm and his expertise on the topic of lawn toss, as well as being a steady voice in promoting a Zen-like approach to the mental side of the game. He's also consulted with many schools and organizations, including the Texas Rangers Baseball Club and Cal State University Fullerton Baseball Team. I love this guy. As a matter of fact, this is the first guy I've been doing this podcast for a year and a half. This is like my 90th episode, and this is the first guy I've had on twice. And it's always really, really a pleasure to uh, talk to my buddy. I'd like to welcome to the show today, Alan Yeager. Alan, thanks, man. Hey, buddy. Thank you for having me. Wow, I didn't know that. Talk about honored. I was already honored to be asked one time. <laughs> I'm, I'm doubly honored, but uh, as you know, man, I... So, so appreciate our time together. And uh, I'm really excited about this topic today. And the funny thing is the next guy that will be the second guy to be on twice is going to be Mike McFerrin, who we were just talking about um, from Wake Forest. So he's going to, he's actually going to be here live. Um, he's coming to check the facility out uh, on Tuesday. So he'll be coming in and we'll be doing it in our office. So um, I just first want to ask you, I know you just got back from the East Coast, so uh, yeah. Um, how did you like our neck of the woods? Well, magical, mystical tour. <laughs> borrow a Beatles line. Um, just had an amazing time. I started in Philly at my my cousin's wedding and just spent quality time there. I hadn't really done Philly right. Ran the Rocky Steps. Right, it's my hometown. Uh, oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, Philly. I grew was... up a mile. I grew up a mile from the Rocky Steps. Beautiful town. I had a great time. The wedding was great. And then I went to North Carolina. Honestly, I hadn't been to the Carolinas and uh, I did a full like eight days. I felt like I was on tour. I was, uh, I went from uh, Appy State to, let me get this right, Duke, North Carolina, Charlotte, Wake Forest. So I had a incredible time. And, you know, it's funny to see you talking about Mike. Um, it was cool being there with Mike and Corey, you know, actually at the lab and touring the facilities. And um, boy, those are some really sharp guys. Yeah, man. Today, the reason I called you is like, it's that time of year. And quite honestly, after 15, 16 years in the business, every year in the end of October, beginning of November, I'm inundated with questions from my high school and college guys about, okay, 
It's November. What do I do now? So while we could spend literally two days talking about your year-round throwing program, I to the listeners, I highly suggest you download Alan's year-round throwing program because this would be a three-hour conversation in itself. Today, I really wanted to focus on the questions that I get asked so much. So I had to call in Alan because he's a master at this. And we're going to really focus on what a guy does in these months coming up of November to March. Okay. We're really going to spend time on that. But like I said, please, please go to his website and download his year round throwing program because it's really, really great. I actually read it again last night. You had a statement you only have so many throws in your arm. We come from an entirely different school of thought whereby you build throws in your arm by throwing more rather than less. Really quickly, before we get into the throwing program, can you just explain that statement a little bit? Because I agree 100%, but I have a real hard time talking to some parents sometimes that are look they look petrified when I say that. Well, number one, yeah, whoever... You know, you hear that statement um, over the years about you only have so many throws in your arm, and um, we just don't believe that. Uh, it's sort of like saying you only you only have so many steps in your feet. I mean, so if you save your steps up now, so that twenty years from now you have more steps, no, that wouldn't make sense to anybody. People would say, "Well, I'm going to have more steps later in my life when I'm 70, 80, 90, or whatever, because I'm walking now, not because I stopped walking to save my steps." So. Yes, we understand throwing a baseball or a softball, you know, overhand sports, you know, there can be some wear and tear. And so it's a tiny bit facetious, but we want people to understand that, as you just said, that we believe you make throws, you grow throws in your arms, so to speak. And whether people will say you have, you know, how you maintenance that, I get it. But we're just trying to give people more of a vision of build and develop and train your arm is very resilient if it's if it's if it's taken care of properly. And I'll say one last note to that, which is people also can misconstrue that statement and like, oh, I can throw as many bull, you know, as many bullpens as I want. I can throw as many, you know, curveballs as I want. I can throw in, in, in games as often as I want. And we're throwing as far as conditioning and training development. We're not necessarily talking about, we are talking about just off the mound or or whatever, full intent. So I think that's another um important point to make just as bp pitchers make three four hundred throws a day six days a week for 40 years and quote unquote don't really break down uh, there's something to be said about that so we're going to talk about what you call the four periods of the year-round plan first of all so we can give guys a little bit of a builder up to what your year-round throwing program is about and then we're going to hit three or four specific scenarios so can you please talk about first like you know starting with the off-season build-up phase yeah, I would say this rather for me, I mean, we could talk about the four main pieces, you know, the, you know, the the off season leading into the spring, into the summer, into the fall, and then back to the spring. I think what I've really come to the conclusion in the last few years, really since not only writing that year on throwing manual, but also our pro off season program is I've just started to see that there's this, this, this thing just hit me like a ton of bricks, which is it's really more about this wave. Um, and I and I really see it as two waves throughout the year, and the wave starts with the off-season buildup, as you just mentioned, uh, which for us starting from scratch is probably at least five weeks to get into what we call great long toss shape. 
Um, then there's a, a period you you enter what we call in-season maintenance. So you do your off-season buildup. The in-season in maintenance, you could say, is really when you start integrating mound work and start pitching live. Um, and then you build up your live pitch count. So you can say that's kind of part two. Um, then there's the post-season, um, immediately going into a deload, um, which is sort of phase three. And then... And we could talk in more specifics about each of these points, but deloading might be, you know, a three or four week period, depending on how long your season was. And then you go into a kind of a rest period where a lot of people shut it down and don't do a whole lot of anything. We would still say do some light band work, maybe play some light catch. We don't really believe ever in like not doing anything. Maybe kids that are 14 and under, 13 and under, you know, they're more supple. You could probably get away with more of them not doing anything for longer periods of time, but we're talking about really more of mature arms, you know, I'd say 13, 14, 15 and up. And then once you get through that, um, that rest, then we go into a really focused active rest. It's not just because it sounds good and you're kind of getting ready for your buildup again. It's because it's a very, I'm having a player go through this right now where, or, or going to go through this. Well, any of the players we, we would work with would have a three to four week, very dedicated active rest period, which could be anything from band work, light band work to medium band work to higher, you know, higher volume band work um, to obviously some forms of, 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 of stretching flexibility, maybe some light lifting. But the, the point is this, there is an absolute base being put in place that is setting you back up for your off-season buildup. So in a nutshell, it's off-season buildup, it's in-season maintenance, then you deload at the end of the season, then you go through some type of a rest period, then you go through an active rest, and now you're back to your off-season buildup again. And that act, that active rest, I think, is what I'm talking about where we're living here on the East Coast right now in the fall. It's November. Am I correct? Or, or there, thereabout? I would say, well, honestly, I'd say any time that you're post, you know, you're going from the transition of transition of pure rest, so to speak to your to your buildup coming you could call any of that period between your your rest and your buildup the active rest so it really could happen at any time of year but as we both know we've talked about this that active rest seems to start coming hard right about now or that's part of where i know we're going to go today so let's talk about back engineering where you are so let's i'm going to give you a scenario you're going to take me through the mind of Alan Jager as how you would actually think about this. I've got a kid for my purposes. I'm going to selfishly use my time clock where we are here on the East Coast with weather. We've got a kid who played spring ball. He played summer ball. And then he did some pitch design work with us in September and October. And now we start our off-season lifting. And he's got November, December, January, February, and half of March before he actually has to be on the mound, we start our, what you are calling buildup. We start that generally around January and uh, it goes about six to eight weeks. So you tell me, what would you do? Perfect. It's cool because anytime I, I do with um, this, any of these scenarios, I always just say, just tell me when the, Target date is for when you either want to be at 75 pitches live in a game or, you know, that's the ultimate thing. If I know, I actually, so let's leave it at that. I actually want to know when they want to be at 
60 pitches live or 75 pitches live or whatever the coach says, we are going to need you live by this date. Let's call it the first game, March 15th, right? Right. Now, once I know that, I reverse engineer one week for 15 pitches. So you can, let's use 75 pitches on March 15th. So if I go back two weeks, which is March 1st, 75, 60, 45, and then I'm going to go the last week of February. So now I'm really down to 30. And if I go one more week, the second to the last week of February, I'm down to 15. So now I'm at 15 pitches live, which to me is equivalent to, you can almost say that's synonymous with a 30 to 35 pitch pen. So now I'm going to keep working backward. So let's say February approximately 15th, we're at 15 live pitches, which means 30, 35 relatively high intent pitches in the bullpen. Well, now I can say, well, how many bullpens do you want? before you're ready for 15 live pitches in a game. So let's just say the average pitcher might say four. Okay, even six. It's twice a week, they're gonna pen. So now I'm gonna, I'm gonna reverse engineer three more weeks. So now we're technically at the last week of January where you started your first bullpen, which might be 15 to 20 pitches at you know 80%, right? Because we're, we're gonna use six pens to get to that late February date to be at 35 pitches, which is which is equivalent to 15 live pitches. Right. Now, this is so this is why I, the beauty of math, it works so well. So now we're, let's say we're uh, the last week, January 23rd is the last, that first pen. Well, now we want our, our players uh, at minimum, if they're starting from scratch, four to five weeks to get into great shape. And the reason I say five is if that would be more high school, college, pro. If it was maybe someone 13 and under, they're not going to get out to 300, 350 feet. They might, they might only get out to, you know, 200 to 250 or 180. You know, they might only need realistically three to four weeks. I shouldn't say only. That's just where they're at for their age group. But let's just use four to five weeks again. Let's use five weeks to be conservative. So now we're back to about the middle of December where you started your ramp up. Clear as day. There's no gray area here. So, so far, we're all on the same page. Now, we know at middle of December, well, if I'm going to start my first throwing program, the beginning of my throwing progression on, let's call it December 15th, well, now I, I just reverse engineer again. Okay, well, how much time do I want to do some bands and some light movement to prep so I don't just shock my arm on day one, right? So I've got a base. Let's say someone says, this, yeah, I'd like three or four weeks of that. All right, so now we're at November 15th or November 21st or 22nd. But let's just say four weeks of active rest, which I think is in our year-round manual or, or our throwing pro-throwing manual. So now we're at November 15th. We have our active rest. Well, now theoretically, you could say, well, how much time do I want to rest before I start my active rest? So let's just use four weeks. Now we're at October 15th. So you can tell me, no matter what, whatever you're at in your, yes. And, and I'd still ask questions like, okay, what did you do this summer? What did you do this spring? I still want to know what your workload was like, because that may, that may alter some things, okay? And we can get into that secondly, because there is two scenarios. There's the one scenario where you kind of had a clean, pretty hard spring, pretty hard summer, and now we just need to deload at the end of that pretty hard summer and just start this one wave that we just went through, starting with rest, active rest, build up, mound work, build up, et cetera. 
But I'm just saying as a general rule of thumb, something that everybody can kind of take to the bank is if you just know that November 15th is when you're starting your active rest. And theoretically, October 15th is, is when you're starting your quote unquote rest. Now, if we really were to engineer this one more time, which if we really want to get into the, the, the nuances, you could then say, well, I needed three to four weeks to deload from the end of my cycle, whether that's the end of the summer, the end of spring, whatever. You need to deload, let's say, three or four weeks. So now, really, we're back at September 15th as to when you started to deload from your summer because remember at the end of a season it's really it's very straightforward you deload three to four weeks you rest let's call it four weeks you have active rest we'll call it four weeks you have a four to five week throwing long toss buildup and then you have we figured it out to be about three weeks of pens and another maybe three to four weeks of pitch count buildup live so it all is the math. And that's why I said to you before, this is one wave. And so now we can kind of play with different scenarios, but, but this is really to answer your original question, like, okay, how, how are we gonna do this? We got your target date of March 15th. We, we can do the same thing from February 15th, by the way, obviously, I mean, I know you know that. So I just need to know the target date and then we and the numbers are already the numbers are already in place. They they can give or take a little bit depending upon age, um, but generally speaking, that's a starting from scratch scenario. And I realize not everybody is has this clean spring and clean summer. I know there's a lot of other variables to talk about, but that is the absolute foundation, the reverse engineering foundation, black and white for us. Even though we have loads of flexibility, of course, in our program. That's at least black and white as far as what do what do the weeks look look like when you reverse engineer? That was fantastic, actually. I want to ask you about three things. That first, an example of your step one, that deload that's four weeks, and then that rest that's four weeks, and then that active rest that's four weeks. What is the difference in the rest, active rest, and deload as far as throwing goes in those three? four-week periods. Perfect. So here's where we get into the variables, which I think is going to help the listeners a lot. Now, let's say someone had a, a pretty normal spring pitched to, you know, I don't know how many innings it would be, 75, 80 innings. Let's say they had a pretty normal summer where they were on a travel team or, or did a lot of showcase stuff. Let's just call it another 50 innings. You know, so they've had a, a pretty solid spring and summer. That's like a pro season in a way. You're kind of ready now to mortgage everything to the deload. In other words, you've been tested and worked, and now you want to deload or undo this process over a slower period of time. If someone said to me, hey, I pitched for a couple of months, I threw 45 innings, the deload process would not need to be nearly as long. But I, I would use more of the you know, pro model or the, the March to end of September or end of August model for right. high school and college players. Very similar. It's a it's a pretty good six month bolt. So the deload for us and and I got listen a lot of this I bounced off of well, Randy Sullivan. I think Randy's the first person I really heard about deloading as a concept. And then I kind of gave him some numbers that he really liked. And so what I did in in the I think it's more in the pro manual, but would apply to the high school college manual would be subtract twenty percent each week. 
and I know this is not a, a, a perfect structure to follow, but whatever you did, the last pitch of your last game, and now you think you're tired and ready to stop, you don't want to stop. I can't get into the biology and, and the science that Randy can, and I'm sure you can, but essentially it's sort of like you married, you married this, you know, these, uh, this chemistry together, as you know, and you're sort of, the idea is you don't want to shock the whole system. You want to, you want to slowly re remove those pieces or, or unmarriage it, which is probably not even a word slowly so that you take 20% off that first week. So you still will long toss similarly. Your volume, your distance might be 20% less. Your volume might be 20% less. You still want to pen. You know, maybe I'd say the one area is if you, you threw 60 pitches your last game, you know, you don't have to go down to 48 pitches. You, you might go down to 30. But I, I guess I'd say to be consistent, you just subtract 20% the first week. Second week, you subtract 40%. The third week, you subtract 60%. And now all of a sudden you, you've just slowly undone what you what you what you created to begin with, and you've allowed the body to recover and, and 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 again transition back to a good state without shocking it. And so I'd say three weeks at a minimum. Um, I think if the heavier your season is, it might be pushing more to four weeks. But anyway, that's the simplest version: is twenty percent less, forty percent less, sixty percent less. Then you could probably just repeat that for another week. That's a good time too, because that's what happens here on the East Coast is these guys play spring ball, then they play summer ball. And then the last two weeks of August, they go on vacation. The family goes away. And um, a lot of guys are so paranoid about like, I'm like, dude, go on vacation, man. Like, you know, go enjoy yourself. And uh, with this deload subtracting 20% each week from where you finished, would you start that? Um, in September, or would you start it immediately after? The, the day that you, it's almost a, it's really a continuum. So on Sunday, if I threw my last game of 60 pitches, that ne next week, Monday, I'm repeating the week before of training. I'm just going 20% less. Everything is 20% less. 20%, everything. Right. Distance, right. intent, volume. You could say the days that you're supposed to get off a mound should be 20% less. That means effort. That means pitch count. Um, probably in a perfect world, even if you, you probably would go down to 48 pitches um, in a live setting that week. And then the next week you're down to um, whatever that would be. It would be about 38 pitches, 36 pitches. But yeah, you just subtract 20% of workload. Yeah, right. And you do it. And look, that's the purpose of deloading is that you don't want time to elapse. Because from what I understood from from Randy, and it just makes sense with anything in life, you know, you just, it's why after you run or like in my case, play tennis or whatever, that the idea is you're, you're supposed to post-workout stretch, right? I mean, you're supposed to like nurture the body and not just stop and let it, you know, shock it a few days later by not doing anything. There's like, endorphins I, that are released that it's almost like you get addicted to like a drug addict only it's it's good it's good stress so you're addicted to that stress it, it's 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 very very bad for the body my daughter went through it in swimming when she quit swimming after she was finished college i said listen man you can't just stop working out right now after swimming for nine years every day and she tried and she was getting like bad anxiety attacks and her body felt terrible i said listen get in the gym and start going and you know you have to actually you have to spoon feed your body those endorphins yeah yeah i think you just yeah look you progress 
maybe it's as easy. This would have been an easier way to say this earlier. You, you progressively, smartly get the body in shape with whatever mode of training. And so you progressively deload the body, right? Why, it doesn't make sense to spend three months or six months getting into a training mode and maintaining, and then one day just stop. Shut it off, right? Your body wants like to yeah. and, and tr- make that transition and sort of, like I said, take the marriaging that's gone on and slowly undo it. Don't just shock the body. So you've taken that deload after summer ball, and then you're going to explain to us about the four weeks of rest. Yeah. And look, this is this is one of those things that's so debatable and there's so many theories. And I try to I try to be extremely sensitive to everybody's input. And at the end of the day, you got to listen to your body and listen to your arm, of course. But our philosophy is, you know, again, I'll steal another line from Randy Sullivan. You know, the body is made to move. And you know, I know that I've talked, look, and I'm, I'm a listener research feedback guy. I'm constantly asking questions. And over the years, I've asked so many people from all over the world, you know, how they train, why they train, what worked. And it, it just seems to me that the players that have the most resilient, healthy, strong, durable arms, I don't want to say throw year round. That's, I, I don't want to mislead people, but they they seem to throw a lot and not take a lot of time off back to the first point of the podcast today. And it just seems like, yes, again, I'm going to give a caveat here. The younger you are, like between eight and 12, I can understand if you took two, three months off and did nothing and and played soccer or played basketball. I understand you're supple. Um, you're, you're growing, you know, maybe it's not such a big deal to take off two or three months and not touch a ball and, and not even do any kind of band work. I'd still suggest you some kind of range of motion like bands. But the point is this, I think as you start to mature and you start, your body is used to training more and playing more. It, it just makes sense to just to continue to water the plant. You know, even if you turn the, the, the fire on super, super low, and just keep it burning a little bit, you know, just keep stimulating it and, and giving it some love. And it's like watering a plant. It's like walking again versus not walking. And so, uh, I mean, look, I, I've told people during rest periods when they don't want to stop throwing, I'd say, okay, maybe just to be safe, three days a week, go out to 60 to 90 feet, lob the ball, we call them massage throws, and do that for two months or six weeks as your quote unquote total shutdown mode. Now, People in your field, experts in your field like yourself, there is some science where you might say, hey, look, and I know I've talked to Eric Cressy a little bit about this, where the body might just really need to shut down and heal and reset and all that. And there's maybe some chemistry going on with resetting. So I have respect for that part where people maybe don't want to do anything for a month. And look, I'm like you too, as far as the mental break, right? So maybe... Maybe even if your body still should do bands three days a week or some light throwing, maybe in the long term, it's still much healthier mentally and physically to take a month or six weeks off, get away, do nothing. That's what I would say is is the biggest thing that I tell pro guys when they're done baseball. Sometimes we don't see them for two or three weeks. They're like, yo, dude, I don't even want to see a baseball. I don't want to see a weight. I, I want to just chill. And that's kind of their time to go on vacation. You know what I mean? And I think that's a that's an important thing. 
So that rest, that four weeks of rest, what you're talking about there is that is the one part of the throwing program that has the most wiggle room as far as what you need to do. Am I correct in assuming that? Super, super smart observation, buddy. It's ex- it is the most wiggle room. It's also the most individualistic based on the body, based on history, based on intuition. Um, and some players might really take two months off, even older guys, and, and really appreciate it. And uh, some players may never stop throwing. I, I think, I don't quote me for sure, but I'm pretty sure Max Scherzer doesn't stop throwing. He, he may go into uh, light three days a week for two months. Right. Uh, but I, I know myself, um, and I know the guys that love to throw, it, it's hard for them, I think, to really go too long. In the, and I can tell you this for sure. Some of the major league organizations, there's a trend that's been going on for about three or four years now, which is really cool. Because our, our pro manual really kind of talks about this, where there's not a lot of downtime after the season. There's there's plenty of downtime if you want to just do light bands and light throwing. But they seem to be more and more, their offseason throwing programs seem to be more and more having less time after the season. Um, and for sure, reverse engineering it, they start their throwing. And I know this because I did a lot of work with the Rays offseason program. And I can tell you firsthand that um, they start throwing probably let me think you know maybe eight, within eight weeks after the season six to eight weeks but they they start throwing a good like instead of in the old days it might have been december 1st or january 1st um i think now it's really october really even like october, really within a month to six weeks after the season um they're starting to move and again it doesn't have to be i know the first maybe month or so with some of these programs it might be three days a week at 60, 90 feet, but it's part, it's almost really active rest nunzio at this point. That's sort of what they're doing. They're just doing a lot more moving the body, a lot more stimulation, and they're setting the tone and the base for when they hit the ground running. Let's just call it, I can't remember, but let's just call it December 1st when they really start the more off-season buildup. That four, that f- four to six week ramp up. Exactly. So that November and October, the difference between rest and active rest that you used, you you went from deload to rest to active rest. Exactly. You were so the difference between rest and active rest for you throwing wise would be what? So with active rest, sorry, with rest, sort of an option of you don't really have to throw. This is the time if you're not gonna throw and you don't want to do anything. No problem because we have active rest coming and we have a nice long buildup coming. So we got plenty of time to do this right and not shock your arm. And by the way, I'm really glad you brought this point because in our pro manual, because that's just that one long wave after the season until spring training. So it's this, it's just really smooth and simple. (laughs) What's cool about it is I actually have in the pro manual, I'm just going to say there's a probably a good six weeks of active rest and maybe a four weeks of rest because they have a lot of time to kind of, you know, wire the plant and keep the fire burning on low until the ramp up around December 1st. So here's the cool part. I give them an option and say, Hey, look, if you want to extend your rest, maybe you pitched in the world series. So you want to extend your rest longer and then chew out of a little bit of the active rest no problem. And then the flip side is, let's say you got eliminated before the, you didn't make the playoffs, right? So you deload and then you start feeling like after three, four weeks of rest, you're like, man, I, I, I want to start moving. This is getting too long already. 
So I let them play with the rest and the active rest periods. And, and that way, if someone, look, if someone wants to take seven weeks and rest and do nothing, there's still going to be time to do some active rest. And of course, there's plenty of time for the buildup. So those are the two areas that are, are very individual and have a lot of variance based on when, how the season ended and when it ended. So you're saying that for our East Coast guys in November, this is an active rest period. Well, I'd have to first ask them a few questions, but assuming that they did a normal spring and a normal summer. They took that August to deload and they took that that part of August to deload into September. And then after that, they, they went into their um, rest period for a little bit in September and into October, they went into active rest um, into November. Exactly. Okay, so now this is my this is my scenario number one. With, with a lot of with a lot of our guys, that is what they did. So I have a, many many high level kids who are playing spring ball, then they're playing summer ball, then they take that two weeks off in August, right? And they come back, and instead of they have two options usually, they either play fall ball where they're throwing you know four innings a week, one day a week. Or they come in and throw one day a week with me where we work on pitch design and we do that through September and October. They throw one pen, okay, where they want to work on pitch design and they lift. So where does that leave a kid in November? Yeah, so what I always say is the the, the, the truth and the formula always win. Everybody can still choose to do whatever they want. They, they have to they have to make decisions based on what they feel is best. I always start from what I consider to be by far, what we consider at Jager Sports by far to be the optimal case scenario. And for us, it's this wave. It's the wave of you deload, you go into rest, you go into active rest, you have plenty of time for your off-season buildup, you integrate mound work, you build up pitch count. That's the formula for me so that, here, let me throw it a different way. If someone said to me, hey, Alan, at all costs, from March 1st, my first game, in this case, March 15th, until the end of my seasons, where we hopefully win a championship is June 8th, or someone says the draft, right? Whatever their end or both, let's say a best case scenario, they're, they're really, you know, first team or first team, then draft. It's so simple for me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up a scenario for you where from March 15th to the end of your season, you are a beast and you are actually stronger in, in June, June than you are in March. You are a freaking animal. Like you are going to have your best arm strength, best resiliency, best recovery, best endurance, best feel <laughs> the last three or four starts of the season. You're like, okay, that's what I want. That's what we did first. We did the scenario where we're setting that player up for that scenario. That is rule number one. That's the truth. That's I think that's a scenario that most guys would want. Right. And so, but, but to your question now, they could come up with other rationales, right? Or they can want to make changes. I'm saying they can. I'm just saying that you're, you're, you're messing with the system at that point. Can you pull it off? Sure. There, we have scenarios where it's like, you know, maybe you didn't, pitch a ton in the summer and so you can do some fall ball and then you don't need to deload as much and then you don't need as much active rest and you don't need as much active rest right maybe you don't even need that much build up because you're, you're, the fire is still kind of burning so there are definitely ways to pay 
That's why a lot of pitchers still obviously play fall ball um, at colleges and high schools. But I'm just saying for the the pitcher that's done a lot of pitching in the spring and the summer in a perfect perfect scenario, you just want to go through all the steps we went through. And what concerns me is honestly is when pitchers start really should be into the deloading rest, active rest, setting up their buildup, which is going to set up their season in March. Right. Out of nowhere, it comes at a showcase in November or December, or uh, a, you know there is a scout ball team, or there's a travel ball showcase, something going on. And and for me, it's sort of like your body is in this beautiful rhythm setting. It's like this wave is going to start to build for March 15th, and right in the middle of the wave, <laughs> yeah, this shock, or or there's a complete alteration in in the formula because all of a sudden you have to hurry up and get in shape or you have to start getting into pitch shape. Or you and have that's to- kind of where I'm stuck because I try to tell this to guys, but you know what? You got a senior who doesn't have a commitment and he needs to throw in front of some guys in November and December. What do you do? Here's the answer. If it's my child, which I don't have any, but if it was my child, here's what I'd tell them to do. I'm going to, I'm going to bet on you from March to June to blow people away and get a lot of attention then. Not to mention, you'll be in the healthiest shape of your life. Not to mention, you're setting up your next year, even if you don't get the great scholarship. That was a great answer, dude. <laughs> well, listen, to, it gets be- hopefully it gets better. Now, listen to this step. You ready? Because I'm a continuum guy, meaning I'm still thinking about where you're going to be 23, yeah. 27, yeah. 33, and 39, and 42. Right. So in my mind, maybe you didn't get the scholarship. I, I know it. maybe you had a little bit better chance or a lot better chance of showcasing in the fall. Here's what I want. I want to shock the world or I'm going to you're going to blow people away at who you're going to be March 15th through June 15th. And here's the second thing. And even if that still didn't get the job done, but got you closer, you are now positioned for your first year in junior college. Or let's say you got a lesser scholarship than lesser. You know what I mean? Let's let's say you wanted a, um, to be the best school in Division One and you got ended up getting a great scholarship in Division Two. And maybe you would hope to be in Division One. To me, it doesn't matter. Because who are you going to be a freshman that next year in college? Well, if you do the cycle right, you're going to find out how good you can be. And and it all comes out in the wash. It all gets there. So I know there's that short-term need-to-be-seen feeling. Yeah, that's the hard thing to expect to, to, to express to a kid and to parents. The who, but, who should be understanding that more than anyone? It's their kid. And I understand that, Nunzio. And we both, everybody deals with that. Yeah, but this is this is where pay, it, why is there a line? Why is it? I think it's from the Bible, right? Patience is a virtue. I mean, there's something to be said about just go after the truth, go after your most optimal scenario, which is how great can I be? Not just not just March to June, but for the rest of my life. And it starts with me cycling the most optimal way. From my deload until March 15th. That's all. Now, some, look, I'll do my best. I have had these scenarios come up where I'll do my best to, to tweak some things, still figure out a way to keep them hot to where they can stay hot long enough to pitch in a very important showcase or two, and then figure out a way where we, and you know what ends up happening? And this is going to go to one of your questions you probably wanted to ask. In that scenario, what ends up happening is we take a chance on just writing the summer sorry writing the the spring summer longer we just stay in shape or we deload a little bit and stay close 
And then we use maybe August and September to just keep the fire burning on medium or so. And then when October hits, there's a couple of key showcases that you, you feel like are really important. We turn the fire up and you're ready to throw an inning or two with full intent. And so we, we're now at a point where we didn't overdo it for that month or two. And so now we can kind of deload and not need maybe as much time to rest and active rest it because we kind of cruise. Didn't go that hard. Didn't go that hard at the beginning. Right. So you, you, you didn't tax the body so much. You left enough gas there to actually go full throttle when you need to. Um, and then because it's only a showcase or two, you can go back down into easing it down. So you're not starting, you, you don't, Davis law doesn't kick in and you don't completely shut down. And then you actually have, you're, you're, you're in the middle of that wave already until you actually start to kind of try to, to peak up there, up, up closer to March. That's, that was a great answer. That 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 was really cool. I'm going to move on to another question I get asked about a lot. Youth training. What does a throwing program look like for like a 13 or 14, 12, 13, 14 year old? Does it even exist? I don't train um, 11, 12 and 13 year olds. I train like 14 and up. But I get questions from the parents of these 15 and 16 and 17 year olds who have 11 and 12 year olds. And there's like, is it cool if my son, my younger son does a throwing program? I'm like, yes, but we, we can't manage those in the private sector because we don't see the kid enough. But can you talk briefly about what's involved in a youth training program? Do you, do you believe in it? Do you think it's important? Uh, you're up. Vital. Yes. It's and it's I can answer it quickly. It's the same scenario, meaning there is a buildup phase that it, maybe if if nothing else to a parent of a an eight to twelve year old, it may be more 10, 11, 12, because the younger kids again are very supple. But I would say the one area you don't want to miss on is the throwing progression and the buildup. So in other words, we we can talk about time off and rest and active rest and a lot of other things, you know, and how many pitches do they throw in a game and all that. I would still say the most important thing by far is how do you ramp up your child? And so again, does that look like four weeks? Also where I think the older kids know that this throwing ramp up is probably five to seven days a week. They should at least. And from our point of view, it's really more six to seven days a week. But for the young kids, maybe they only get to play catch a couple times a week. So that would be an area for youth that I would hammer and say, no, they've got to throw at least four times a week to build themselves up. If you're, if you're going to expect them to pitch in a game with full intent, you want them fully prepared and conditioned. And that doesn't happen twice a week. It doesn't really happen three times a week. And so I guess the first thing I'd say is if you're going to invest into a throwing program, just start by knowing your son's going to have to get out there and throw. Whether we, whether we come up with a perfect throwing program that we have for the older kids, I would just say, listen to your arm. Just go out there and build up the distances like we would with the older kids. You know, maybe you just you, just, you have to kind of pare it down a little bit. But really to answer your question is the throwing progression and buildup is still massive and it's a priority and it's not twice a week. It's four times a week or more. That's number one. They can start doing some light band work, some arm care. What are you using for intensity for those four days with a, with a 12 and 13 year old kid, 11, 12, 13 year old kid? 
they can get our manual. They can get a, any throwing manual that they believe in. There's a progression with the older kids. They're doing the exact same thing. They can subtract 30%, 40% based on the age, 50%. It's just, it's the identical progression. They're just doing it with lesser distances. And these younger kids tend to get into shape faster. Not, they, get, they get out to the max distance, of course. It doesn't take as long to get there. But I, look, I'm going to keep using the analogy of my son. If you said to me that March 15th is his first Little League game and he's expected to throw 30 pitches in the game or 20, I'm going to reverse engineer it, right? There's going to be a period for the bullpen, there's bullpens. There's going to be a period for the live pitch ramp up. There's going to be a period for the throwing progression. That's all. It, it may be for the little younger kids. There's sort of like three main pieces, right? There's the, the buildup. There's the bullpen buildup. There's the live pitches build up. And then once the season's over, do they have to deload if they're 12? Maybe not because they're so supple again. Uh, how long do they rest? What's the active rest look like? I would still have young kids have an active rest, rest period leading into their buildup the next cycle. That to me is still very, very important. Do some band. And I'll say one other thing about youth that maybe not again with the seven, eight, nine-year-olds, but once you start maybe getting 10, 11, 12, even if they take Let's say they play baseball, and then for two or three months they play soccer, and for two or three months they play basketball. That's great. I'm all about diversifying. I love other sports. But I would still say, especially as the kids start to get a little older, maybe have them do bands three times a week for a few months, you know, or a month here, and then they can maybe take some time off. And so the point is this: it's just if if baseball is a priority for the young young athlete, then to me you're still trying to be proactive with arm care and there still is a building progression. And so you can go forward with peace of mind, Nunzio, the rest of your life that whenever you get this question about youth, 100% youth need to be aware. The parents need to be aware. The coaches need to be aware that there is a throwing buildup and progression as well. Awesome. This, this has been awesome. This has happily gone over the amount of time that I usually allow on my podcast, but I am I welcome it with open arms. Um we've been talking with Alan Jaeger. Jaeger, Alan Jaeger. All good. Keep you know what man? You know what, man? I did Jaeger all, the whole time except then. Uh we've been talking with Alan Jaeger about um specific scenarios. Once again, guys, if you do not have his year-round throwing program, download it. It's it it is so self-explanatory. It's it's like riding a bike, and it's extremely effective. We've been talking today about some specific scenarios that I selfishly wanted to know for myself. But, um, Alan, how can guys reach out to you? Easiest way is uh, Jager Sports or at Jager Sports on Twitter, which is, I know, X now. And then um, Instagram, we're at Jager Sports. Really, to contact us. Um, jagersports.com is contact page there as well. Um, but we welcome, you know, questions and input and, and all that good stuff. And, um, yeah, that's the easiest way to get hold of us. And you can reach me at, at Nunzio Signore on Twitter. You can reach my facility at RPP underscore baseball on Twitter and Instagram. The website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. I have a book out on velocity-based training called How to Apply Science, Technology, and Data to Maximize Performance. You can get it on Amazon. It's released by Human Kinetics. Once again, we've been talking to Alan Jaeger. Uh, 
Throwing Program Master, Alan, thank you so much for being on again. Hey, thank you for having me. And honestly, this time flew because I just always enjoy my time with you. And I love seeing that guitar in the background right there. I'm just, I'm just loving that. Uh, until then, guys, stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. Have a great day.